0: Previously on Firebug, I started to tell you about my 30-year journey with a novel called Points of Origin. In that novel, a serial arsonist named Aaron set a bunch of fires that were almost identical to real fires. Now, I'm trying to figure out where the fiction meets the facts. Here's an excerpt from Points of Origin. Aaron is preparing to drive north to an arson investigators conference in Fresno.
1: Aaron sat at his dining room table, putting together several of his devices. The morning sun was shining brightly, but the Santa Ana winds had died down. He lay on his bed and lit one of the devices, setting it in an ashtray on the nightstand. It was 9.15. He lay on his side, fondling himself. At 9.24, the flame erupted as did Aaron's climax. In 10 minutes, Aaron was in his car heading north on Interstate 5 toward Fresno and the annual Arson Investigators Conference. Aaron had attended the annual conference for years. He was fascinated by the topics at the meetings and learned much about his adversaries. He cruised the streets of Fresno, and he logged several places that offered possibilities, and he found himself at a Mexican restaurant. There was an outdoor patio, and it overlooked a shopping center across the street. Aaron walked toward a nearby fabric store. As he approached, he saw into the store from the front windows. The women in the store might notice a man in a fabric store, but he knew they would never remember anything. He felt fright, but it excited him.
2: My name is Mary Jean Dumler. I live in Fresno, California, and I've been here for quite a few years. On January 15th, 1987, on my way home from work, I saw this beautiful coat dress, and it was like over $100. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's so simple, I could make it. That's why I ended up at the Hancock fabric store. After much searching, I um, found this beautiful corduroy fabric and uh, I was sitting at the pattern table. I was approached by this person who kind of bumped my arm to get my attention a man, I'd say maybe five, nine, in kind of a monk's outfit, a monk's habit. He pushed a card towards me, and it said, I am deaf, I am hungry, and as I remember, it had some dollar signs on it. He had very unusual eyes, I felt. They were just like piercing coals. The neck hairs went up on the back of my neck. So I just shook my head, no. He just looked angry, instantly hostile. And he pushed it towards me again, and I shook my head, no, again. I'm trying to think of the word for my feeling about his eyes. Um, they were dead. They didn't have a sense of life. We kind of moved away, and uh, I went back to looking for the pattern. And I kind of noticed in my peripheral vision that he had gone off to the right corner of the store, which was where all the um, bridal things were, the, the netting, the veils. Then I didn't see him after that. Shortly after, I happened to look up into that corner again, and there was a puff of smoke. Cigarette smoke kind of swirls when people have their cigarette. And, and that's what it looked like. I got up from the stool and I went over to the lady who was waiting on a customer. I said, I think there's smoke in that corner. And she kind of turned sideways a little bit. She said, no, no, there's nothing. And then all of a sudden it got to be heavy smoke. And that's when I said, there is smoke. There is a fire there. And then she noticed, she told somebody, call 911. And then it exploded. Boom! It burst like a starburst. And wherever that starburst landed, it exploded into more fires. And there was this draft, and somebody yelled out, close, close the back, the back door. door. The lights went out instantly. It was so incredibly fast. The store was absolutely dark. The only light was from the fire, a blizzard-like fire going across the ceiling. Within five minutes, the entire store was on fire. The lady who was checking out had a child. The child had been separated from his mother and he was calling for his mother. That was panic, trying to find him and get them together. And then suddenly everybody was out of the store I don't know what I was thinking, but I saw that the doors were kind of shaking back and forth. And I I went up and I tried to stop the flames from coming out. And of course, that back door was open. It was such force. It just went whoosh. All the windows blew out, and the flames were just coming out to the sidewalk area and up very shortly the uh, fire trucks arrived. By then I had backed my car up quite a ways away uh, in the parking lot and was watching. Thank God no one got hurt.
0: And while Jean watched Hancock Fabrics burn, maybe the author of Points of Origin was watching too.
1: Aaron could clearly see the interior of the fabric store over 100 yards away. He looked up and saw the huge column of smoke already hundreds of feet in the sky. He looked into the store and could see the displays igniting as the fire built to fill the entire storefront. He felt fantastic. I was
2: just disturbed about that man. Those eyes were very telling, very suspicious.
0: I'm Carrie Antholis, and this is Firebug. Officials are looking for an arsonist responsible for at least 16 fires.
1: John
3: was convinced that it's the same suspect starting these fires. Do we call him a coin tosser. A
1: will, no
3: there was a witness, and we never had a witness before.
2: This man, he said he was a deputy or a sheriff or something, but then he was just gone. John
1: told me, I think a fireman's light is up. It's a common thing to have firemen set fires.
3: He says, "Well, he says, you watch. You mark my word. I think it is." Chapter
0: three: Catch me if you can. I'm
4: terrified of fire. Fire scares the bejesus out of me.
0: This is Scott Baker, an arson investigator with the California State Fire Marshal.
4: The last thing that's going to happen to me when it's all said and done, my daughter's going to put me through an oven and put me into ashes, and I'm going to face my mortal enemy. If you can look at your mortal enemy and not have him intimidate you, you're a success.
0: On January fifteenth, 1987, Scott, like a lot of his colleagues, was in Fresno attending the California Conference of Arson Investigators.
4: And this was after the conference was, uh, was over for the day. Usually we hang around out there, we, we talk and, and talk to the instructors and everything. That's when the uh, fabric straw went up. They called a the task force of all of us together. They said, hey, we got a problem. When we got there, it was still smoking. It had just been put out, fire engines were still on scene. We can see the structure, we can see it's totally destroyed, partially collapsed. And it looks like a giant kid's toy that they've stepped on. Uh, Race car drivers, they'll get out there. Something's wrong with the car. It looks perfect, it's dialed in. I don't know, it's just something's wrong. A gut feeling, same with us. We'll look at some fires and say, something's not right. My main job at fire scenes, I like to do the origin and cause. Where did things start and what caused it? Follow the patterns and ask the right questions to the right people.
0: The right person in this case was Mary Jean Doomler. I said,
2: "Um, I don't know if it means anything to you, but uh, I was in the store when it caught on fire.
4: She points to the spot where we can see structural failure. Okay, good. You're looking at this place, and it's ready to fall down. Wires are hanging down, metals hanging down, broken glass all over the place because the whole front was nothing but glass. And we're walking into it. We gotta get in there and find out what happened before any evidence we have is destroyed. Fire's like water. It can roll over things. It'll move around stuff. Look down into a creek and see how that water moves down that creek. That's what fire's doing up there. And you'll see that trail moving right across the ceiling. This one went straight up, hit the ceiling, and then spread out and rolled right toward the front door. And when you pull the door out, you create a vacuum right behind it. That's where it's going to head. And that thing just took off like a freight train.
2: We got out of the store, and suddenly it was just an inferno.
4: She runs to the front door, checks, makes sure everybody's out, and she looks up and sees the fire.
2: It was rolling on the
4: top of the ceiling. Rolling right toward her at the front of the store. So she just held the door right in tight. That's when the fire blew out the windows as it came in. We had the area of origin. She said she saw smoke in the middle of the store, coming up from uh, foam rubber, that type of material. We start moving equipment, rubble, anything else we can out of there to go all the way down to the floor to see if there's anything there at all that could have started that fire either accidentally or naturally. There's no electricity. There's no heat-producing devices or units right here. There's nothing there that'll start it.
0: It had to be set by somebody. Scotty then heard about another fire that had been set in a sleeping bag display in a drugstore just across the street. It could be the same guy.
4: Two of them bang, bang, one day after another. Whoever did this knew what they were doing. They knew where to put it, and they knew how to make a device that wouldn't be seen quickly.
0: And Scotty started to think about that arson investigators conference just a few miles away.
4: It happened in the evening, right after the the conference had shut down for the night. It's just the coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences.
0: The next morning, Scotty walked into the hotel where the conference was taking place and scanned the lobby.
4: Every year, we arrest a firefighter somewhere in the United States for starting fires. With investigators, it was unheard of. We never had it. We're looking around. I wonder if it is
0: one of these guys. But while Scotty searched the familiar faces, another string of arson fires was breaking out two hours south down Highway 99.
1: Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that
5: That's stamps.com. Code program.
3: I don't see how anybody could ever do anything else other than be a fire investigator.
0: This is Captain Marvin Casey. He was an arson investigator with the Bakersfield
3: Fire Department
0: for over 20 years.
3: It was just so interesting. Much more interesting than what I call putting the wet stuff on the red stuff. You know, putting fires out and responding to calls. It's kind of like in Forrest Gump when he said, it's like a box of chocolates, you know, you never know what you're going to get. That's kind of like a fire investigation. You never know what you're going to get. It started out to be a mild morning, not too much happening or anything. I was working the arson unit alone. The other two investigators were at a conference up in Fresno. So I had to stay here and mine the shop while well, those guys were gone to the conference long about noon i received a, a fire over my radio at a craft mart store and i rolled out to it bakersfield was similar to the area that i grew up in the panhandle of texas a little town called borger texas dry deserty the people were real nice country and western town It's in between Los Angeles and Fresno on Highway 99.
0: How would people driving through Bakersfield
3: encounter it? That's what they would do is they'd go through it. They wouldn't stay. (laughs) (laughs) Craft Mart store, they sold just like it says, crafts. The store was fairly large. It was a department store. I was met at the front door by an engine company captain. You know, he said, I had this fire back there so there doesn't seem to be any reason for the fire to start. I talked to the assistant manager and he said he had smelled some smoke and he was walking through the store and he saw smoke coming up. And then as he walked by, he saw a small flame in one of the dry floral arrangements. And then he grabbed the portable extinguisher and put it out. I was observing the dry powder that was on the ground, the scent and the stink of it, and then the smoke from the fire. You could smell that, too. When I got down this aisle, the firemen were all standing around. They were all watching and looking. In the middle of the walkway, there was this one wooden gondola that still had burnt, dry floral pieces in it, and uh, I looked over in the bin, and I saw what I recognized to be an incendiary device. It was a cigarette butt with, uh, I, I don't want to be telling you guys how to set fires. You be down there after setting them now. Carrie, you be careful, okay? I,
0: I, I'll be very careful, Marvin. <laughs> Thank we'll <leave> you. <laughs> Thank you. It was a delay incendiary device, made from a cigarette, matches, and a piece of paper similar to the one used by the coin tosser in the last episode.
3: Normally, the device burns up, you know, in the fire. It's destroyed by the fire hoses. To recover a device is like a miracle.
0: But this time, the store manager had put out the fire quickly enough to preserve the device. Casey took a closer look.
3: I don't think the regular layman would know how to make something like that. Somebody, you know, had to put some thought into it.
0: Casey bagged the device and noticed something else in the bin.
3: I saw a piece of yellow-lined paper in there that had a burn mark on it, and I said, well, I'm going to take the paper, too. While I was doing that, I received another call that I had another structure fire at a Hancock fabric store two miles away from that location. I said, what in the world is going on, two stores, two major stores, and like they had similar merchandise in them. They were relatively close and they were open. That, that was unusual, very
5: unusual.
0: On the way to the other fire, Casey got a call over his radio. We have out over his fellow arson investigators were on their way back from the conference in Fresno.
3: And they made me aware. We had several fires in Fresno and one just happened to have been at the Hancock Fabric Store and it was a major structure fire and it went to the ground. I was Wow, they had one up there. I still hadn't even got over to the fire scene to see what I had. I got out of my cruiser, walked up to the front of the door and was met by Captain Tommy Schulte. And Schulte says, we've got a a fire. Says looks like it started over in a foam rubber bin and there's a lot of water in there. So you better go back and get your boots. There was a lot of water damage in there, there was smoke damage over in that northwest corner. That was where my fire started. A giant cabinet that stored foam rubber and different bedding material. The firemen had been in there with their hoses, washed everything out, and all I had was just some charred boards to look at. Took the photographs, and then I went back outside and started my interviewing process. And I did talk to one witness in there. She said that she saw a guy dressed like a cowboy. She said he didn't buy anything, and he just walked over where the fire had started and then back to the back of the store and then back around and out the front door.
0: Trying to find a cowboy in Bakersfield is like trying to find a needle in a stack of needles. For now, Casey didn't have much to go on. But the story of his two fires reached arson investigator Scotty Baker all the way back up in Fresno.
4: Whoa,
3: I got to talk to Marvin. Scotty was pretty, pretty nervous guy. You know, he, he, he was just fun to work with. We communicated back and forth quite a bit during my career with the fire department. He would come down and just have coffee with me or just be passing through. I've always been noisy.
4: I can be a pain. You know, I've, I've got two ex-wives But,
3: (laughs) you know, I don't don't mean to talk about him or anything, but we kind of laughed at Scotty, you know, called him Rambo.
0: In the fire investigation world, Scotty was known for his military background, his gun collection, and his tenacity. I question, I want no answers to questions, and I'm dogged at it. But that wasn't why Marvin called him Rambo.
3: He had a life-size cardboard cutout of himself, a machine gun in his hand, bullet things wrapped across his shoulder, look just like Rambo. I mean, it's just, my secretary, she'd always say, hey, Marvin, Rambo's out here. He wants to talk to you.
4: And I went in. I said, hey, Marv, have you got anything yet that you can tell me about?
3: I have an incendiary device, and I shared that with him. I just showed him pictures of it. And
4: You see, I got a bunch of stuff here. I'm going to run it for prints, and I'll tell you what, I'll keep you
0: posted. And I goes, okay, that'll be great. Casey forwarded his evidence to the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. They help out with multi-jurisdictional arson cases, and they'd process Marvin's device for prints. They
3: called me and said, hey, we had a fire in Tulare, too.
0: Tulare is a small town right between Fresno and Bakersfield on Highway 99. Just a few hours before Marvin Casey's fires, a fire erupted at a store in Tulare. It started in a sleeping bag display and was quickly put out. But 45 minutes later, across town at a discount store, another fire started in a bin of foam pillows. The clerk who put it out found an incendiary device at the bottom of the bin, a cigarette with matches attached to it.
3: So now I'm really thinking, okay, somebody set the fires up there during the conference the next day, loads his car up and heads down, he stops in Tulare and starts two more fires. And then comes to Bakersfield and sets two fires here. He's traveling down 99.
0: And the device this person used to set his fires was sophisticated.
3: Somebody that would set a device like that would be a fire investigator, you know? He knows how to make them, he knows how to do it, you know? There was probably a guy that attended that conference up there. I think they just said, hey, I'm going to set this fire and just see how the good these guys are. They're a bunch of country bumpkins. They can't catch me. Catch me if you can. Casey
0: reasoned that this guy probably lived in the L.A. area and set fires in Tulare and Bakersfield on his way home from the Arson Investigators Conference in Fresno. Casey got the complete roster of people who had attended the conference.
3: I took the roster and I eliminated it down to 55 names.
0: Around that same time, the ATF called. They'd finished processing the fingerprints on the device Casey had found at Kraft Mart.
3: There was not a print on the cigarette butt, and I was really disappointed. But he says, however, Marvin, we did find a print on the yellow line paper. I says, really?
0: The ATF ran the print, but couldn't match it to anyone in the National Criminal Database. It came back negative,
3: nothing. So I said, wow.
0: But there was still Casey's list of 55 arson investigators. Their fingerprints were on index cards at their local fire departments and would have to be pulled manually, something that the ATF wasn't willing to do.
3: It wasn't very popular because I was trying to nail one of our own, and that doesn't ever go over too good. They wouldn't accept the 55 names. It got down to where I had nowhere to go with it. This is all I had to work with.
0: It was a dead end.
3: I think what I brought to the table the fire investigation is that I don't quit. I'm kind of like a bulldog. Once I get on somebody, I just keep after them and after them and after 'em. I don't like to quit. I don't like to give up. I don't have give up in my body.
5: News: real fire in downtown San Luis Obispo sends fire trucks and almost
2: four dozen firefighters.
3: I was in my office and I got a call from Scotty Baker. And he said, I attended a conference up in Asilomar, and uh, I'm going to tell you something that's going to knock your socks off. Oh, boy, Scotty, knock them off, buddy.
0: A series of fires had broken out around another arson conference along Highway 101.
3: Fire investigators
4: tell Action News tonight that the blaze is suspicious in its origin.
0: The fires had started in foam materials, in craft stores and hardware stores, and investigators had recovered another cigarette device
3: fires during the conference fires after the conference traveling back down 101 to home same scenario mindless i said scotty can you help me out can you get me any more information he said i'll get you the attendance roster and i will get you the fire reports i said great
0: casey dusted off his list of 55 suspects and cross-referenced it with those who had attended the conference in pacific grove
3: It was a fireman. It was setting these fires. And when I cross-referenced it, there was familiar names on there, and I narrowed them down to ten names. And
0: Casey knew a lot of the names on that list. Some were his friends, guys he had known for years, like Glendale Fire Investigator John Orr.
3: I was taught by John Orr. Uh, He was one of my mentors. He just happened to be one of the ten.
0: He submitted the list of ten names to ATF.
3: I says, "Hey." I've got this thing narrowed down now to 10 names. Can you work with 10? They took the 10 names and, and uh, nothing.
0: The fingerprint didn't match anyone on Casey's list.
3: Turned out negative. Now, disappointed again. No match. When you run into the brick wall, when there was no place else to go, there's not even any crack in the dam. The case is gone. And let me tell you, arson cases go like that. The easy ones in fire investigation are kids, crazies, and drunks. But the ones that aren't easy to catch are the professionals, the pros. They don't care if you know it's arson. And then you have the psychopath, the guy that just does it, and he would never, never, never admit that he set that fire. They like to set fires. They're just basically fire bugs. This guy's not gonna stop. Fire bugs don't stop.
0: Next week on Firebug, the arsonist returns to Glendale, California and sparks the biggest fire in the city's history.
4: It was a terrifying smell of of everything around you that was burning. And you were gonna have to get out of there or you were gonna die.
0: To see photos related to this week's episode, including pictures of the device Marvin Casey found, visit our website at truth.media. Firebug is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. It was created in association with Crime Story Media. This episode of Firebug was produced by Ryan Swikert with help from Michelle Lance, Neil Dinesha and W. Harry Fortuna. Ryan Zweigert is our senior producer. Story editing by Mark Smerling. Carrie Antholis, that's me, is your host and executive producer. Kevin Shepard and Alessandro Santoro are associate producers. Our archive producer is Brennan Reese. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Fact checking by Austin Thompson. Michael Blumenfeld did the mix. Sound design by Michael Blumenfeld and Ryan Swikert. Music by Kenny Kusiak, John Kusiak, and Marmoset. Voice acting by Levi Petrie. Our title track is Young Men Dead by Black Angels. Special thanks to the California Conference of Arson Investigators. If you'd like to continue the conversation online, find us on Twitter, at Firebug Podcast. If you've enjoyed Firebug, don't forget to subscribe. And leave us a review on iTunes, It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening.